If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. G-A-L-D-E-M G-A-L-D-E-M This song is good. Hello and welcome to Galdem's first ever podcast. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name's Liv, I'm Galdem's founder. And for those of you who don't know, Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives and creative work of women and non-binary people of colour. Hello, I'm Charlie. I'm the head of editorial at Galdem and I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. We're super excited to be starting our journey with you. Each week we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up with Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our podcast, Growing Up with Galdem. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Growing Up with Galdem. This week we are joined by the incredible Nikesh, who is a novelist and screenwriter, the author of Coconut Unlimited, Meat Space and The One Who Wrote Destiny. 
Um, he's also a contributing editor at OBS magazine and the editor of the legendary essay collection, The Good Immigrant. And he's also a mentor to many of us, to myself, to Charlie and to many kind of extended members of the Galdem family. He's been there for this this entire journey and has supported so many of us in so many ways. And I, I really don't see anyone else kind of in the industry putting in the, the work and the time to mentor and support the kind of next generation um, or authors in general who might otherwise lack opportunities and access to certain spaces. So he is a proper legend and we are so excited to have him here with us today. Um, and his new book, Brown Baby, which is a memoir of race, family and home, will be out in February 2021. So hello, Nikesh. Thank you for joining us. Legend makes it sound like I'm dead, Liv. <laughs> you can be a living legend. What do you mean? <laughs> I, I, could do, I could do the exact same but opposite to you and go, oh, I remember when you guys were first born out. <laughs> a baby Liv was in our studio doing a dissertation and I was telling you guys how to do like various boring back-end things on your website. Yeah. It's been amazing to see the growth, the you know, the growth from an idea when you guys were at uni to where you guys are now. It's just I'm so proud of you guys. It's it it always warms my heart to see see when people cite Galdem in various in the various spaces that they do Mm-mm. yeah I'm still not over Bernadine putting Galdem into girl woman other that made me very happy <laughs> that was a good uh, one and you know what you know what Liv I have to kind of call you up on that intro because Bernie is also that author like there are so there are like loads of amazing authors out there doing that work of like mentoring writers and and propping that wasn't meant know, to be shade <laughs> no, 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 but like, no but it is worth mentioning that mm. bernie Evaristo has always done that yeah like since day dot since like even for me for loads of people i know like bernie and selena godden and nia equa parks and culture newland and musrock Kwonga, like all of them have just been so like, i wouldn't be anywhere without any of them you know I'm just so grateful to all of them for like the kind of the support they gave me at the various times in their lives that they did or uh, and in my career that they did that like the only way I can ever pay them back is to pay it forward. What you do in 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 abundance um me and Charlie obviously did your um writing course during lockdown we both kind of have challenged ourselves to actually take this writing thing seriously and carve out time and space for it. So for anyone listening who is kind of in- interested in getting an, a kind of introduction into plotting out a story and developing characters, I recommend signing up to Nikesh's newsletter so you can find out when these courses um, are coming out. Yeah, and now now you're doing a whole degree of it, which is exciting. <laughs> yeah, Liv, is, <laughs> Liv is, um, is knee-deep in books at the moment. And and I think really enjoying it, aren't you, Liv? I am loving it. It's like I knew it was going to be work. I'm not averse to work. It's a lot more books than I thought, but it's great. It's fine. <laughs> um, me and my friend are doing the course together, and we're like, wow, okay, so this is really a really a thing. It's not just the books; it's also the essays, which you know you, you forget. Nikesh, just before we get on to your extract, which is a beautiful poem, I want to... It's not a beautiful poem. <laughs> it's, very, it's very in your in your feelings kind of, yeah, we'll unpack that later. <laughs> yeah, it's a poem I wrote when I was 13 years old. Okay, I thought it must have been at, at that kind of age, yeah. Teenagehood, yeah. But yeah, just before we get on to that, I wanted to just um, probe you a little more on Brown Baby, which is obviously open to pre-orders, like as, I think it's today, isn't it? Um, as we... Uh, as we're speaking so I wanted to hear just a bit more about 
brown baby, give us the sell, the hard sell for anyone out there who might be interested in that type of memoir. Just buy the book, guys. The <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so about two years ago, I was uh, briefly uh, a columnist for Observer magazine. And my remit was to write about having kids and how to raise kids with joy in kind of a, a bleak environment. And I really loved doing it. And then it was cut short, which was kind of sad. But uh, papers need to sell advertising space. But an, a, an editor... Carol Tonkinson, who's an amazing editor, she was the voted the editor of the year this year, the British Book Awards. She approached my agent and asked if there was a book in those columns about being a parent. And I was a bit like, I'm like 38. I can't write a memoir. And she she was like, just think about what it would look like. And so I decided that I'd write a memoir that was basically based around conversations that I've had with my kids. Um, about the world you know like these sort of really interesting spaces that we get get to where they're like asking me questions about climate change and they're asking me questions about skin color and all the rest of it and you know we're trying to navigate these spaces and so I, I thought I could write a memoir that is about all of these things but through writing the memoir, I kind of had to confront the fact that I never really dealt with my mum's death and my my mum died very quick uh, very suddenly in 2010 and it was the same week my first novel came out and so I was dealing with both of those things at the same time and I don't think I ever really processed my mum's death and so the book becomes a way of processing my mum's death because in with all these questions that I have about being a parent and how you speak to your children I didn't have her to turn to and she would she would have been the person I would have turned to so it's kind of a grief memoir and yeah it's called Brown Baby and it's out it was supposed to be out in September of 2020, but then COVID obviously meant that lots of things changed and now it's coming out in 2021. So I'm really ready for it to come out. <laughs> I'm really like ready to, because once the book comes out, as you guys know, having put out a couple of books between you, like once it comes out, it just doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to readers. And I think I just really want this one to belong to readers because I wrote it as an act of love to my daughters because it's sort of framed as a bunch of um, letters to my daughters. But in that act of love, I kind of want it to be in the community and hopefully people who are kind of wrestling with these questions themselves have something they can turn to. And also, I just want to move on emotionally from it because it was really hard to write. Did you know that it was going to, that, you know, it was going to be a, a piece of work that not forced you to confront, but that 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 kind of ended up being an exploration of grief and grieving? and or Or was that something that kind of came later? It came, as I was writing it, it came quite organically. I'd actively decided I wasn't going to write about grief because I think I've written about it quite a lot in the past. And there was just one bit where it ended up happening in the first chapter. I was trying to reliving that those sort of that first night that my first first child was, was born and I, I'd sort of taken her into another room so her mother could get some rest. And in the quiet, I kind of just looked down at her and I thought I saw my mum's face on her and it was a really really beautiful emotional moment and then I was never able to recapture that moment and so like that first chapter became sort of me exploring what that meant in in the moment and then it kind of unlocked this thing and suddenly the whole book was you know my mum was on every page of that book oh wow that's gorgeous I mean I can't wait to read it um and it sounds like something that um 
yeah, anyone who's lost a parent would definitely, or a grandparent, or anyone close to them in their life could would definitely benefit from engaging with. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Cool. So, shall we move on to your poem? Do you have it in front of you, Nikesh? Because we'd love for you to read it out for us. <laughs> yeah. In your in your most thirteen year old voice. Yeah. <laughs> so it's called it's called Trail of Thought. <laughs> I can't believe I'm reading this out loud. It's really funny. <laughs> From a bird in the sky to the sky's infinite blue, for blue is the hue of a mood and a sigh. What the fuck is that? <laughs> from, Don't mock young Nikesh. Let me let me do it again. Serious voice. From a bird in the sky to the sky's infinite blue, for blue is the hue of a mood and a sigh. From a bee buzzing again to a flower's colourful beauty, to the it hearts in a beauty, to the evil lurking in the hearts of men. From a kettle boiling to the water itself breaking bonds, to what's right and what's wrong. To Judgment Day's final dawning, from a foretold lie, to lying to yourself, to the dissipation of health, to when we all die. Damn. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, it did. It gets quite quite dark at the end there. Um, so yeah, tell us the story. Where were you in your sort of life um, and headspace when you wrote this? So basically, when I was like 16... I think in the in the back of like the local newspaper, the Harrow Leader, I saw this advert for a competition from the International Library of Poetry, the International Poetry Competition. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to enter this. So I wrote this poem, which is like, you know, it's pretty, pretty much just a teenager going, um, here's a small thing. Oh, no, we're all going to die. And I wrote it and I sent it off. And six months later, I got this letter through the post saying, you haven't won the international poetry competition, but you have been selected to be in the anthology. Now, in order for you to be in the anthology, there is a fee of £50. Now, because uh, we love your poem, we're going to give you a £5 discount and you can pay £45 to be in the anthology. Now, I was 16 at the time. I did not clock what was going on, okay? But all I just heard was, oh my God, I am going to be a published author. Mum, I am going to be a published (gasps) author. I'm going in an anthology, the International Library of Poetry. Like, where, you know, everyone in the world is going to have access to this poetry book. And I begged my mum. And I think my mum was a bit like, you shouldn't be paying money to be in this book. That's like when people get people get scouted and they're like, we want to make you a model. Now you have to pay us £500. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I can't remember how I how I managed how I gathered the forty five pounds together, but I gathered the forty five pounds together, gave it to my mum, and she get she got a postal order, and I sent it off just before the deadline. And then I was like, I just was so gassed, like I'm gonna be in a poetry anthology. This is gonna be amazing. This is the start of my career. And then it came through, and I'm I'm just gonna hold it up, hold it up so you can kind of see, right. This is, it's an A4 book called Awaken to a Dream. Like, if you look at the spine, it sort of looks like gaffer tape. (laughs) (laughs) On the spine to gaffer tape it together. And then you open it, and there's like 15 poems per page. 
Oh my god! Oh, it's cash. Like, so wait, were you like, part of a poem scam? I was part of a poem scam in 1996, oh and my there's goodness. like 650 odd pages. If you imagine 650 <gasps> pages with like 10 poems per page, and then you had to pay extra if you wanted a bio in the back. And I, I was looking for my bio, and I must not have paid the extra for the bio in the back. That is like. £50 or £45 discount times 650 pages of however many people. Like, they were laughing. I just, did, I just did the maths and that comes to around £300,000. Whoa! That is, that what? is Because also, like, the, the paper is so super thin. Like, you could, I don't know if you can hear it on the smoke way. It's like newspaper paper. And I remember getting it through the post, right? And just instantly being gutted. Instantly realising what had gone on. Instantly going, wow, 15 people times 653 times 45. Like, just doing the the maths quickly, as as Charlie has just done, and going, oh, my God. And I I was just so shamed. I put it up in, like, I put it up at the top of a cupboard never to look at it again. And my realisation at the time was, my words deserve better than like, it took me a little bit of time to kind of come back from it. But my, my takeaway from it was, like, I deserve better than this. I deserve better than being scammed like this. And so it kind of, it did end up giving me a new resolve to do things properly. But also, like, you've heard the poem. It was a big pile of shit, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> so bad. Why did I think that was going to win the international poetry competition? That's like quite a powerful lesson to come out of like a situation in which you're scammed that my words deserve better and my work deserves respect and should be valued. I think that's a pretty pertinent thing to to come to the realisation of age 16. Yeah, I I mean, that wasn't my immediate reaction. That was my like, I I don't know if you guys had this, but my mum was like, my mum's reaction to things was like, you can you can mope for two days, but on day three, you just have to. My mum's like that. Yeah. So on day three, I was like, right, that's it. I'm going to get published properly. And I, <laughs> and, uh, and I started working on my first collection of poetry and it was called The Eternal Optimist. <laughs> Love that. Because none of the, none of the poems were very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> very deep. I was moving some stuff around recently in this room because like, a couple of years ago when my dad moved out of my childhood home, like I ended up with all these, but my sister basically when she was moving the last of the stuff out found just like a box of all of my teenage musings. And then I had the, the collection, the eternal optimist. And I was like, what do I do with this? Do I keep this for posterity so I can go on podcasts <laughs> in the future and make fun of myself? Or should I get rid of it? I mean, obviously I've, I've kept it all because it does yeah. show, does show the journey. Um, you know, there there is a thing about seeing your words in print for the first time that's really powerful because, like, flash forward, like, 10 years, 10 years after that, maybe, I was in an anthology uh, called Tell Tales, Volume 2. And it was an anthology, like, the first, it was a project set up by Courtier Newland and Nii Kwe Parks. And Courtier and Nii had done the first volume. And then Nii and a guy called Rajiv Bullis of Brahmanium did Volume 2. And... I I submitted a short story for that and this was in the years where I, I thought I was going to be a really famous rapper even though I was really rubbish but um, I submitted a short story for that and the short story was about this it was like sort of there was this kid in the mid 90s called Zahid Mubarak who 
he um, he had been caught stealing razor blades from a shop, and he got sent to Felton. And and you know, as we as we know, Felton is as it was in the nineties. It was it's a horrific young offenders institute, and the guards purposely put him in a cell with uh, a known racist. And the night before he was released, the, this this racist cellmate um, broke the table leg off his table and beat him to death. And so he was never released. And there was this huge miscarriage of justice in like the late nineties, early noughties. And so I wrote, I wanted to kind of give humanity to his death. Um, so I wrote something about what his hopes and dreams were, like the night, like his final night before he was released. And it got accepted into this anthology that um, Ni and Rajiv had edited. And that, that for me, like 10 years later, like finally that meant something, that counted for something. And I really remember when that came through the post, like my author copy of that, it was a completely different experience because the first thing I noticed was that it had a barcode on it. And I was like, this has got a barcode. That is legit. That is proper. I'm going to be in shock. <laughs> People are going to pay eight ninety nine for this. And then I saw the contents list and like, if you imagine like who they are now, they were still legends back then. Like Kamala Shamsi was in it, Leonie Ross, Ramesh Gunasekara, Gemma Weeks. But the difference between those two things just made me realize what I'd been missing in 1997. But I, I kind of am glad, I think, now, years later, that I'd had that experience of my, my work being treated so carelessly because it really taught, taught me a lesson about what I, what expectations I had for myself. Because if you don't have those expectations for yourself, then like, how can you then put those expectations onto other people? Mm. And also presumably taught you, you know, gave you a lesson for when you became an editor of an anthology of your own as to how much respect you wanted to show to the authors that you worked with and so on and so forth. I learned a lot of that from Ni and from Budgie when they were editing Tell Tales because they were so careful. They were so careful with absolutely everything. They stress tested everything, you know, to the point where, like, I'm justifying adverbs, I'm justifying perspective, I'm justifying certain images. And and it was really hard because I'm sure you guys have had this at, at various points in your career. You know when, like, someone accepts your work and you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And what you don't initially realise is that what they're doing is they're accepting the potential of the final piece and then the hard work then starts again and then they come back with all the edits and you're like, oh my God, I'm the worst writer ever. Why did they yeah. say yes? To <laughs> <Yeah>. the <first laughs> um, definitely made me feel like that. But then at the end of it, I came I came out with this thing I was hugely proud of. Whereas, you know, this thing that I'd sent off to um, the International Library of Poets, like I sent it off as was and it was printed as was, you know, like they didn't correct anything. I could have sent it with a typo and it might have ended up with that typo. For sure. I think I'm now in a place where I, I recognise that you want your work to be edited and you want to like get loads of feedback on it and you want it to be the best that it can possibly be like of course but that yeah that first time that you get notes back on something <laughs> crushing <laughs> yeah th- this was always the thing when I you know I obviously came to know Liv through my work on Rife magazine when I was working with um, a bunch of your friends and one of the things when you're work, you know when I, I was essentially working with myself when I was first starting out. So I had to had to be very mindful about how you give edits to to people who are first starting out because those edits can definitely make someone go, Well, I can't be bothered. I'm I'm giving I'm not I, I can't do this. And there's something about 
um, you know, that you've kind of got to develop a way of drawing the best out of people and pushing them to be better without making them lose their confidence or lose their nerve. And that can be really, really hard. There's this thing that happens. I, I don't know if you've done this yet, Liv, but like there's this thing that happens in creative writing courses where you workshop your work and you have like, in seminars, you go through like a 5,000 word extract of someone's novel and everyone, like all 16 people feed into this Damn. novel. Damn! And, <laughs> and it's really tough because mm. more often than not, they're telling you, you're giving them an isolated part of your novel. And like in 200 pages time, you might address the thing that they're talking about. Or someone who's really into thrillers might not get the fact that you're writing a piece of literary poetic literary fiction or something and so they might go oh, i don't really get it and it, it can really undo you because you've got all of these voices and, and i guess the thing that i've just learned over the years is actually the most confident writers are the ones who can sit with your feedback and just go yeah no that's really interesting no thank you take it all away take uh, and just sit with it and then just work out what is helpful and what's not helpful and then the stuff that is helpful whether that's stuff that you you already know and therefore it's like confirmation of stuff that you already know or whether it's something that's offering you a new perspective. And that takes years. I don't even think I've got to that. I'm, I'm only getting to that part now. But I think that's having been an editor, I've kind of learned that. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Do you remember, Chaz, I was telling you about the other day when I got those Saki um, edit notes yeah. on a piece and then it turns <laughs> out that they weren't for me to have seen. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. told me that. Yeah, I was not meant oh, to see them. Oh, that's so funny. Because I was like, this guy's a dick, like, <laughs> to be honest. But you, you know what, Liv, that considering, considering you weren't supposed to see them, they were actually probably not as harsh as they could be. <laughs> 
interesting <laughs> considering that. Um, but I just was yeah. like, I was like, I just would like to flag that I think these edits um, yeah. are fairly unprofessional. I think, you know, as someone that's been working in this space. Anyway, but then, yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, these were these were meant for me, not for you. And I just was like, I was thinking we we didn't leave each other like those kind of edits on someone's work anyway. But anyway. Who has the time? Yeah. Can, can, I, can, I make a, can I make a confession about the worst way I reacted to some edits? Go on. Oh, it's actually awful. <laughs> like, we, we ended up, it actually in a weird way, cemented a brilliant relation, working relationship with uh, a book editor. So my my editor on one of my novels, because there was a lot of um, mysticism, uh, Hindu mysticism sort of wrapped up in, in a, a lot of the text in one of the parts. And he's a middle-class white guy. He had, he had basically um, found an inconsistency with how I was interpreting some sort of Hindu mysticism. And so in, in his tra- changes of his comments, he was he was sort of drawing attention to it and drawing attention to some inconsistencies and like trying to get force me to be consistent, which is obviously one of the keys when it comes to writing. But then he, he committed what I felt and I still to some point, to some uh, extent feel the cardinal sin of illustrating his point using Harry fucking Potter. (laughs) And I was outraged. I was like, not only is this white devil white explaining Hinduism to me, but using the whitest of all white people, Harry Whiting Bloody Potter. How dare he? And I reacted very badly. So what I did was, because the section's about a computer programmer, I tagged on to the end of that scene, her ending up in this Reddit deep dive about Hindu mysticism and coming across a poster who compares everything to Harry Potter, and I cut and paste his comments and put them into the novel. And then, like, and that, like, in the moment, I was like, "Ah, oh, I'm relieved. I've got over that. Get on with the next novel." But I forgot to take it out. I forgot to take it, and I sent it back to him, and he phoned me up. And to his credit, he was brilliant about it. He was like, "Look, if you've got a problem with any of my edits, please address them with me like an adult, because this is just petty." And I was like, "Oh no." Oh, yeah, you're god. right. I'm really sorry. That was me acting very badly. Oh my god, Nikesh! I actually can't. It was awful. It was awful. It was so awful. I, I'm so I stressed felt, for you. I know. I felt so bad about it. But after that, oh. because we'd had like the worst possible, like it was a really good reset for our relationship, and we were able to just move on from it. And you know, we laugh about it now. But <laughs> one one through gritted teeth more than the other, probably. Yes. That's just too good. Um, one thing I wanted to ask a, a little bit about was just like what you were like as a sixteen-year-old writing this. Like, what kind of what kind of teen were you? Were you obnoxious? Were you <laughs> sweet? Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably a lot of things as as a teenager. Um, I was very quiet. I was very shy. I was definitely one of those teenagers who is like, I'm never gonna meet someone to fall in love with ever or write lots of bad poetry about it I basically spent a lot of time in my bedroom like reading comics and listening to Wu-Tang Clan that was my teenage years like you know I grew up with parents who you know they worked seven days a week and if I wasn't visibly seen to be working I had to go and work for them I had to go to their warehouse every weekend or I had to like you know, if I wanted to, if any time my sister and I wanted to watch television, we'd sit in front of the TV and like pack, like, cause my, my, 
dad used to like manufacture like gift wrapping paper so like we used to sit in front of the tv on the coffee table like packing up gift wrapping paper and like our house was always filled with boxes and stuff and so the way of avoiding that was to just pretend I was studying very hard in my bedroom but I was just like I had my headphones on I was listening to lots and lots of rap and reading comics that I'd illicitly bought um or borrowed from friends and I was just quiet like I didn't go out I didn't really like do much I was quite boring had you been like kind of writing poetry like throughout your I know this was your first published pieces when you were 16 published scam published whatever we want to call it I scam, don't know. scam poetry scam publishing yeah. ha- have you always written poetry have you always used that like as a has that been something you've enjoyed doing consistently or? yeah I think it was a mixture of wanting to write my own rap lyrics and wanting to write my own political rap I was so into political political rap I was so into public enemy and then like in the golden age of hip-hop, the mid-90s, I was really into, like, the Native Tongues movement and De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest. And, all, like, I really wanted to be a conscious rapper. And um, so between writing conscious rap lyrics and my own Spider-Man arcs, I kinda, it kind of just sort of melded into poetry because I couldn't rap. So um, that's kind of where all that came from. But, yeah, I, I think I was always writing. Like, you know, the, this this box that my sister found is, like, heaps and heaps and heaps of things and 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 actually the thing that i realized recently that i've just started doing with with um, my best friend shimen suleiman like we write letters to each other like really long letters because uh, like one of the things i was really good at um because like one of my close friends lived up in nottingham and like my cousins who i hero worship lived in south london which when you grow up in northwest london is like it's a different world and one of the things i really miss and one of the things i was really good at was letter writing um, I used to really like having those correspondences. Like there was something so exciting about getting a letter through the post. So that you know, between all of those things, I used to write a lot. I used to always, always also used to write letters to the manager of uh, the football team I supported as well. Uh, sometimes when he made bad transfer decisions, I'd write him a really stroppy letter. They definitely. <laughs> so Nikesh, we were wondering if you could go back in time. Uh, and give some advice to your younger self. So the Nikesh who was sitting down to write this poem, who had that moment of, of realisation that, that he'd been scan- scammed, rather. Um, what would you say to him? Well, first of all, I'd ask him to edit that poem. There's like, there's like some really bad scanning in it, and some of the rhymes don't work, and some of the imagery's mixed up, and like it repeats the same words in like over three lines. Like, just edit your poem better, man. You were sixteen though, as well. I'm like, you're really coming with all these edit notes about form and structure <laughs> and language and rhyme. But um, love that. <laughs> you know, I think the only advice I'd probably give my my younger self is to just is to write as much as I can, but read more widely. Because I think when I was a teenager, I'd really given up on, like I've not read very many classics, if at all. And that, and that's okay, but um, for the longest time, I, I exclusively just read crime novels and Spider-Man comics. And I feel like I'm I'm catching up with a lot of, a lot of novels now that I probably would have really benefited from reading as a teenager. And I, I would just encourage myself to read more widely just because it's um, a novelization of a 
sitcom you like doesn't mean that's the book that you read again and again and again. Yeah, I agree. What um, what are a couple of the books that you just quickly that you wish that you'd read back then? I wish so. I mean, I've talked a lot about this in the past, but you know, I discovered uh, the Buddha of Suburbia by Hanif Qureshi as a teenager, and then after that, I just couldn't find it, ever find anything that I wanted to read that felt relevant to me. I wish I'd discovered James Baldwin earlier in my life. I think James Baldwin is a writer who I go back to time and time again. And I think there's something about James Baldwin's fiction that has probably influenced every single writer that I've ever loved. Um, I'd wish I'd known about writers like Zora Neale Hurston and I'm trying to trying to think now you've put me on the spot, but like Rohinton Mystery. I feel I feel the same. I'd probably say similar to myself as well. Um, I wasn't like a, a my sister reads so broadly. She reads the same kind of books that I'm reading now. She's 14 and she's like just taking everything in. And yeah, I, I wish that I had kind of engaged with some of these books a lot earlier on. My mum had this amazing bookshelf of all of these like key kind of black woman authors. I was I was almost named Zora after Zora Neale Hurston, but I just I didn't engage in a way that I wish I had at that moment. And maybe maybe it's meant to happen when it's meant to happen. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, may- maybe it's fine. Like, maybe it's okay that I just exclusively listened to a certain type of rap and read a certain type of comic, and that's kind of just made me who I was, you know, and that's okay. And finally, you said that you were, like, a really um kind of, like, quite sh- not, well, yeah, quite shy or just kind of, you know, getting on with it kind of teenager, not doing anything particularly wild. What do you think that that Nikesh would think of this Nikesh? Would they be like, would he be like, whoa, or... <laughs> what i'd hope that he'd see that i'm probably pretty much still the same person i'm still pretty shy and quiet and awkward and keep myself to myself unless it's like i'm hanging out with people i feel comfortable with you know um i think he'd be you know what like i don't i don't ever give myself any credit but i feel like 16 year old nick ash would be impressed with me now and that's you know that's all i can do really and that's that's like it's not often i'm that kind to myself but i feel like I'm where I would have wanted to be. Lovely. Thank, Thank you, Nikesh. We've loved having you. It's really been really have. nice to catch up and hear about, you know, your your experience of being scammed as a as a 16-year-old poet. <laughs> I just just the best story. Um yeah, the great story. And, and then the Harry Potter story. Like there are just so many gems. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That was lovely. <laughs> and I feel like we could have chatted. I could have been in that chat for a long time. It made me laugh a lot, especially the part about um, receiving edits. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> As in, I think it's, um, for me, it was just classic that Nikesh has brought one of the best stories to the podcast so far. He is a, a natural born storyteller. Yeah. So that was really nice to hear from him. You don't really need to like prompt a lot. It's just there. It exists in abundance. I'm sure those of you who are listening could tell that we are huge, huge fans of him. And that is exactly why. So, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Growing Up with Galdem. It's been me, Liv and Charlie, our incredible editor in chief at Galdem. Thank you so much for listening with us week on week. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Nikesh. We've got another very special episode coming up for you. Same time, 
next week. Please do head to Gaudam's website and sign up to become a member if you like our content, our ethos, our message and what we do, what we stand for. Please do subscribe and support independent media because it is important. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review, rate us and subscribe. It really helps the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our Instagram page at Galdemzine. That's G-A-L-D-E-M-Z-I-N-E. Or you can visit our website, which is G-A-L hyphen, which is important, D-E-M dot com. Galdem has a book which is out now. It's called I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. You can find it in all good bookstores or online. Thank you so much for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.